0: Who wants to talk sports? We do. From our Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center Studios in San Diego, we welcome you to our Monday bonus podcast coming off a great sports weekend, the Super Bowl. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, John Riley. We are here to talk football and a ton of other topics on the table. Our Monday Bonus Podcast is brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Centers. Nine store locations to serve you in San Diego. You got projects. You need to talk to them about their projects. Remember the name, Dixie Line Lumber. And by North County Eye Center of Poway and Escondido. You have concerns about your vision. You need tests. You need recommendations. You need North County Eye Center, Poway and Escondido. John Riley, what a great sports (laughs) Super Bowl weekend we've come through. Maybe the greatest game of all time.
1: Yeah, fascinating game. I know you had a full day yesterday. <laughs> what time did you go to bed last
0: night? Oh, it was after midnight after I got done writing everything I had to write, and it's <laughs> all up on my website, and you've got it, and we're going to talk about it. Uh, just just an amazing game. Before we hit the floor running and talk about topics on the table, a reminder, we want you to share and subscribe To our podcast. That way you'll get all the alerts every time we put something up on the podcast. We also want you to register to become part of Hacksaw's Insiders Group. If you go to my website, leehacksawhamilton.com, all that's written, there's an orange box right on the homepage. Just fill out the information you get on our mailing list, and then every time we add something to the YouTube channel, we put something up on the website, you'll get the data, too. And we got some plans for 2024 we're trying to roll out, you'll be part of that because you're part of Hacksaw's Insiders Group. And John, when we're done... Your segment, hmm. Fans Forum with your best friends. And for everybody that's new to our podcast, doesn't understand what Fans Forum is, tell them.
1: Yeah, so this is your chance to get involved. It's just like the old days on 690, 1090. Want to place a call, get, a, get on the Aztec hotline, the Super Bowl hotline. This is your chance to drop a question or comment for Hacksaw. Just type it in the live chat. Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter will get you involved in Fans
0: Forum. And... Just a reminder share and subscribe. Tell all your friends what we do, our Monday and Thursday podcast that starts at 1 p.m. Pacific. Tell them what we do, all the written content on my website. John, give me a word to describe what you saw Super Bowl Sunday.
1: I think, well, there's a lot of different words, but I, in the, the beginning of the game, it was a
0: slugfest. I mean, it was just a brawl. Dynasty versus disappointment. <laughs> I think that's probably the the word that I'm going to use. Let's talk about the Chiefs and Dynasty. Kansas City wins the Super Bowl 22-19 in overtime. Come from behind win. They won the game because of coaches' adjustments. Andy Reid's play calling, throw to the second and third receiver, throw to the backup tight end, move Patrick Mahomes around. His play calling was dynamic. That's why the sub-heroes were the tight end Watson and the backup wide receiver Scantling. He created running lanes for Patrick Mahomes. They went max protect. They changed their formations, which kind of slowed down the pass rush. They had the 75-yard touchdown drive against the clock and against that San Francisco defense at the end of the game. Harrison Butker, what an unbelievable kicker he is. Four more field goals in pressure-packed times. We had the screaming session on the sideline between Kelsey and Reed (laughs) because Kelsey was peeved. He was not in Certain mm-hmm. formations, when a turnover occurred, and Reed marches towards Bill Belichick's 33 playoff wins in the course of his career. Andy Reed's now got 27 postseason wins at the special time of the year. Uh, in terms of the incident, yeah, you can say that was a flashpoint. Kelsey, the competitor, Reed the stoic coach, But it was a bad look. It was a really bad look for Travis Kelsey. I think Kelsey owes Andy Reid an apology for what he did Mm. because that was really over the top. If it had been somebody else, it'd probably be real problems I'd have to deal with because it was Kelsey that kind of sloughed it off. But I think Kelsey owes Andy Reid an apology. Shanahan, Mike's got uh, a son who's got a problem in postseason. Kyle has just not gotten the job done. There's going to be an albatross around his neck till he wins postseason games. He has now lost four critical playoff games when they've had double-digit leads Oof. as a head coach or when he was in the Super Bowl with Atlanta. That's, that's not a success rate that you want. Dominant first half, that was a defensive war. Then it became a war of attrition in the second half. What I don't understand... When Frisco was dominating the first half, they played powerball with Christian McCaffrey. And then they didn't use him from the back end of the second quarter through virtually the entire third quarter. He was not part of the offense. He fell in love with Brock Purdy trying to throw the ball against that pass rush. Uh, They used some motion, but they didn't bust any big plays using the motion. Not sure where the Jets sweeps were that they used during the course of the season. Jake Moody did surprise us with a couple field goals, including the 55-yarder, but he missed a critical point after, and that's why that sucker wound up going to overtime. Terrible look to see Dre Greenlaw go down with a torn Achilles tendon, just jogging from the sidelines to go back onto the field. Boom, he goes down. Uh, It was a deathly silent at uh, San Francisco locker room afterwards. They're really hurting. And like I said, it's the fourth time Kyle Shanahan's lost a double-digit lead in a postseason game that's cost him either a playoff win or, in this case, the Super Bowl. So you tell me your thoughts on what Kansas City did, the adjustments they made. Does Kelsey owe Andy Reid an apology? And that albatross hanging around Shanahan's neck.
1: Well, let's talk about the Kelsey situation because, yeah, it was a bad look. And in the beginning of the game there, Kelsey wasn't really much in the rotation, not just on the field, but there weren't many balls being thrown to him. So I assume he was getting covered and that's why they were going to the other guys. But when he comes roaring out and like, you know, chest bumps Andy Reid and gets right in his face, I mean, (laughs) clearly inappropriate. Andy Reid seemed to slough it off, say, oh, yeah, I love my guys. They're competitors. But it's funny how that photo of, you know, Travis Kelsey right in Andy Reid's face is turning into a meme on the Internet that's being used for all sorts of other (laughs) things of one guy yelling at another guy trying to get his point across. That's pretty funny. Um, You said um, on Thursday, in our uh, podcast leading up to the Super Bowl, that it was going to come down to the kickers, and boy, did it! That missed field goal—that's that, the difference. The miss point after, or excuse me, the point after. You know, even after he hit like two fifty-plus yard field goals, he misses a point after, and that's the thing that screws over the Niners.
0: Yeah, eight missed kicks, most of them in the back half of the schedule, mm-hmm. and one in every playoff game they played. He missed something, so that's a tough call. Uh, I will say this, unbelievable defensive war in the first half. How the guys on the defensive line had any energy left, John, to play the second half is beyond me. And then the game went to overtime. They had to be running on fumes. And the second half of the game was all about Andy Reid's adjustments and Kyle Shanahan's inability to get away, get back to what made them successful. I mean, Reed changed formations in the second half. Kelsey was boxed and doubled in coverage over the top. And what they do, he threw to Watson, the other tight end on the other side. He threw to Gray. He threw to the untrustworthy wide receivers who caught some passes. Mm -hmm. Then Atlanta had to shift some. Atlanta wound up going going back to their zone. Not Atlanta, San Francisco wound up going back to their zone. And then Kelsey started catching everything. Mm-hmm. He went up with nine receptions, I think seven of them in the second half. Yeah. Because the defense has changed. Mm-hmm. And Andy Reid changed his offense. Uh, they changed their formations. They put tight ends in. Kelsey became a tight end on the line of scrimmage who come down the line of scrimmage in block, in motion. Watson did the same thing from the other side. I mean, Kansas City just did some things to slow down what San Francisco was doing defensively. And then, obviously, we had talked about this. I thought there'd be some formations that they, they ran some loaded formations, and Mahomes ran the other way mm-hmm. on design quarterback keepers. Patrick Mahomes had runs of 6, 8, 18, and 21 yards, most of them in the second half. And that fuel drives. Mahomes had a huge third down run, first down. A huge fourth down run, designed, first down. Game-winning drive, game over. Reed made adjustments. For some reason, Shanahan failed to go back to what he had before. And he had two power backs when they were pounding Kansas City. Why would you go away from McCaffrey? Why would you not use Elijah Mitchell more and just continue to wipe out the defense? Because as they ran it, long drives, clock runs. Who's on the sideline standing next to Reed? Mahomes. Mahomes, yeah. So Andy Reed, mad scientist. Look at what they devised, what they made adjustments to in the second half. And Shanahan stood there like a mummy, just looking at his play chart and trying to run the same things and getting away from what made San Francisco successful in the first half. I thought it was a hell of a game. Just, my God, to play the whole season. And think about the gauntlet that Kansas City ran. Miami, Buffalo, Baltimore, San Francisco. All of them had great defensive statistics all season long, and Kansas City won every one of those games.
1: Incredible. I mean, yeah, you're right. And like here again, Andy Reid, super genius, you know, just like we talked about him last year. It's incredible the way that guy just is so smart about the game. I mean, it's just amazing. But just this this game just had it all, didn't it? I mean, you know, you had the, the slugfest, the attrition, you had the crazy plays, the runs. Even the Mahomes runs, you ever notice that he kind of his cadence... Where the way he runs is unusual His gate. It's the gate, yeah It's almost like a wiggle, the way he goes down the field But those were, you know, busting You know, up the, the plays there When he got through and got, what, like 20 or 30 yards On some of those runs Yeah, he
0: broke San Francisco's back defensively
1: Yeah and then, and then in the third quarter, you're right. Like Brock Purdy was over; he wasn't completing passes. And um, and then even at the very end of the game, the Niners could have won that game if Chris Jones was blocked, you know. And they had what Jennings in the flat, and I think Ayuk was like free in the end zone. They missed that opportunity. So. Yeah, like you, they, and they lost a lot of other guys to injuries. I mean, like it wasn't just Greenwood. I mean, you know, there were other guys that were just
0: getting knocked out. Yeah, it was it, brutal. It, it was an unbelievably physical game. And for them to play a full 60 minutes and then have 15 more minutes overtime. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was quite, quite an accomplishment. All right. We talked about coaches. Let's move on and talk about the next topic on the table, <laughs> the, okay. quarterbacks.
1: the quarterbacks, Mahomes and Purdy. I think Purdy actually did pretty well, but he was no Mahomes.
0: Mahomes is 15-3 and three in postseason play. He engineered drives that got them points even when they trailed very early, and you can't think Kansas City's done if Mahomes still has one more possession left in him, and look what he did with that final possession. And obviously the second half adjustments, move in the pocket. Suddenly Kelsey is now doing things against the zone. Mahomes had the four big runs. He survived these quarterback statistics are amazing. He got sacked four times. He took five hits. He had twelve pressures in his face. But yet at the end, he was there to make the plays, hmm. uh, and it, they had chunk plays. Uh, they only had four chunk plays of plus ten yards in the first half. In the second half, they had ten chunk plays. Andy Reid's adjustment led to big yardage plays down the field. They finished with four hundred fifty-five yards in offense against Frisco's defense, is one of the best in the NFL. Wow, amazing! Purdy had ten plus chunk plays in the first half a chunk of them on runs well what's your definition of a chunk anything beyond 10 yards okay that's a chunk play uh dewan jennings He's almost gonna be the hero of the game i thought he was going to be the mvp if the the 49ers won exactly that wild throwback touchdown pass lollipop across the field how it didn't (laughs) get picked is beyond me but it wound up being a touchdown then he caught another touchdown and he had a couple other receptions along the way Uh, They couldn't find Kittle, hardly went to Kittle because of the coverage. Uh, The stuff they tried to run with Debo Samuel didn't work. Ayuk had one really big catch kind of late in the game. You know, and Purdy was under all kinds of pressure. Now, he didn't run the football. I I thought he would. He had a sack, eight hits, ten pressures. He had bodies all around him. So Purdy managed the game fine. Mahomes won the game in typical Patrick Mahomes style
1: yeah so i mean mahomes has got to be up there on the mount rushmore of nfl quarterbacks going towards tom brady yeah he's on track and he's only 28 years old i mean what a spectacular career he's had so far and there's a lot more left in the tank
0: okay let's move on now the other heroes in this game yeah for
1: sure let's talk a little bit about some of these defenders
0: War of attrition. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was unbelievable. Uh, it was almost 800 yards in total offense in that game. That Those defenses were just on the field an awful lot. Chris Jones, Nick Bosa. I mean, they were just so physical, so violent. And they were as powerful at the end of overtime as they were in the first quarter of the game. KC amped up its pass rush. They choked off the Niner offense in the second half. San Francisco had three straight three and outs to begin the second half of the game. I would have never imagined that would happen because KC's defense had been on the field the whole first half. Uh, The pass defense did a phenomenal job. I mean, their corners, they deflected three passes. And their guys were in one-on-one coverage deep. And they, they broke up three 49er deep passes, phenomenal hand play Mm -hmm. by by their young cornerbacks. Bosa's pass rush was explosive. Um, they, They had to keep Mahomes in the pocket. They did in the first half. But and Andy made these blocking adjustments and went to some different formations where his tight ends became motion men and were coming down and wham-blocking up inside, what Kelsey did, what Watson did, kind of changed the whole thing. But Bosa, Bosa did a hell of a job it, it, against their tackles, and I thought Kansas City's tackles really were shaky, but when the Chiefs made formation changes second half, that kind of changed the game. Um, I, I, I was tremendously impressed with how how hard Bosa plays and how big and how hard Chris Jones plays. I mean, that's a big man. Oh, huge. That's like a moving van (laughs) going, you know, coming off blocks and getting in the quarterback's face. So I think those defensive guys did as much as they could considering how dynamic the two offenses were.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was just ferocious in the beginning of the game. I really liked Tony Romo's analysis about Nick Bosa kind of staying in his rushing lane mm-hmm. and able to kind of keep Mahomes from going north-south, and that worked for a while. I mean, what did you think of Romo overall? We've talked about announcers in the past.
0: I thought they, I thought they were pretty good. I mean, Tony Tony's got a unique style in which he can read certain things, and Tony Romo said a bunch of things that I said in our Super Bowl preview about moving the pocket. And he must have been watching. Yeah, right. <laughs> so i I, th- I thought the broadcast was good, and it was it was pretty accurate. All right now, tell me what was the ugliest thing you saw? Ugliest thing was it Kelsey's blow up with Reed. Was it all the shots at Taylor Swifties in the owner's box? Was it the bad commercials? Was it Usher's Halftime Show? What didn't you like?
1: No, well, no, the, the Usher's Halftime Show was actually not bad. I enjoyed it. I, didn't, I don't know a lot of his music, but I thought it was well done. Love everything about Taylor Swift. Keep showing her. I love everything about that. The Kelsey meltdown wasn't so good. But some of the commercials were weird. That com was just
0: confusing. You know, Um, most of the commercials were off center. What are they advertising here? I thought one of the best ones was Tom Brady with the orange glasses and the Dunkin Donuts. (laughs) Yeah, that was a good one. You know, I I, I like the RFK commercial. I'm not an RFK
1: fan, but I love that old style commercial. That was a lot of fun. Um, You know, the the Pfizer one, the celebration of science, I liked (laughs) as well. So there were some good ads. It wasn't as good of an ad season as we've had in previous years but there was not a lot to hate in this maybe in the very beginning the game if you weren't an nfl fan the game probably felt a little slow at first yeah it was all defense yeah so you know people weren't getting into it but boy did it finish it was dynamite at the end
0: sledgehammer football turned into sizzle football towards towards the end okay our podcast is brought to you by Dixieline Lumber and Home Centers, nine store locations in San Diego. Been in business for more than 100 years. You got projects in your house, on your patio. Talk to the good people at Line And by North County Eye Center Poway and Escondido. You need vision help. You need direction. You need problem solved. You need North County Eye Center, Poway and Escondido. Uh, John, let's move on here. We got another unique football story coming off the Super Bowl game to talk about.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about streaming. So you got some data in a new poll.
0: Harris Poll this past week ran a survey of NFL fans around the country about pay TV in the Super Bowl. Would you pay to watch Super Bowl games behind a paywall? And it was really interesting. Only 11% said they would buy the Super Bowl if the price tag was $65 or more. I've been told that if this were to ever happen, it might be a ninety-nine ninety-five purchase for <laughs> right? Super Bowl Sunday, which is the, every, all types of programming plus the game. Only 11% said they would buy it if it was $65 or higher. said they'd buy it if it was in the $35 range. Okay, 31% said if the price tag was $15, yeah, I'd probably do it. But that's only 31% of the population they polled. The intriguing one was 76% said, I'll pay the full price. And then, John, we're inviting everybody over to your mansion, and you're going to charge us 10 bucks a head to get in mm-hmm. so we could pay the full price. So I, I'm not sure how the NFL reacts to this. You know, the NFL had the $5.99 Saturday playoff game, but the numbers they drew weren't great at, at 5 dollars Well, if it's going to be ninety nine ninety five for Super Bowl Sunday— I, th- I think there's going to be a re- revolt on their hands. And I know that Roger Goodell said it at his press conference because we talked about it. Goodell said, not in my lifetime will there be a Super Bowl on TV uh, pay- behind a paywall. We're not going to stream the Super Bowl. Well, money talks, people walks, a lot of things change over the course of the NFL so what's your read of of the citizens reacting if it's if it's big dollars versus small dollars or if everybody's coming to your house?
1: Well, it's interesting because again everything's going towards streaming. I think when people don't have a cable TV package you know, then they a la carte things and and it's more acceptable, right? But if you're already paying the big cable TV package and you've got to pay 99.95 on top of that, that, yeah, that's, that gets you angry. But isn't the whole concept of, let's say, charging full price and inviting your, you're having your friends kick in 10 bucks. I mean, doesn't that violate some sort of a copyright? Cause they always read that in, in baseball games, you know, the ex with that express written consent, you know, that whole line they do. So It's funny how they talk about it, but I think technically, I mean, you're kind of it's illegal,
0: isn't it? That's a good question. But I guess if you do it, we'll wait and see if somebody from the NFL (laughs) knocks on your door during the course of the first quarter of the game and says, how many people are in here? Uh, Give me your credit card.
1: Well, hopefully it's not Chris Jones, and I think we'll be okay.
0: (laughs) Absolutely amazing. One other football story before we get to halftime. Boy, oh boy, this is quite quite a story.
1: UCLA and Chip Kelly, he's gone, and there's been some breaking news this morning.
0: Yeah, there's a lot going on. He walks out on a troubled team. Within one week, Chip Kelly, who'd been given everything he asked for at UCLA, within one week... He interviews for the Raiders job. He interviews for the Washington Commanders. Both those were offensive coordinator positions. And then he winds up taking the Ohio State job because he has a long-time relationship with Ryan Day. He walks out on trouble. 35-34 and 34 in six seasons at UCLA, won one bowl game. With their heritage, with his resume, what he did at Oregon— they were only ranked 58th in the nation in recruiting this year. He lost his quarterback of the future, Dante Moore, whom he benched. He transferred to Oregon. He showed no interest in helping raise the NIL profile for UCLA athletes. He struggled to keep players from going to the transfer portal. He strong-armed and was a distant from a relationship with the Boosters. He was condescending to the media. He lost four offensive assistants in a span of about a month. You know, this, this guy had the unbelievable record at Oregon, went to the Eagles and failed, went to the 49ers and failed, had a substandard haul at UCLA. And what really bothers me is everything he asked for financially to raise the football program to a true national level in terms of things for the athletes, travel, training tables, food, counseling. They gave it to him. Athletic department has a $36 million deficit because of what he asked for, what they gave him, and he turns his back and he walks out. There's such a litany of unhappiness about who he was, what he did while he was there, and by the way they were 35 and 34 it's unbelievable selfish i think what he did was dishonorable i think it was despicable it was classless he walked out on all the kids he just recruited in the transfer portal and the kids he just signed last week in the february signing position and the veteran players are left behind i i i don't understand it i'd say good riddance to 10 miles of bad road It is interesting. In about a 72-hour period, UCLA did Zoom calls with 11 different people. On Monday morning, they committed to Deshaun Foster, former star running back, had been an assistant coach at UCLA for 11 years with Kelly prior to that with Jim Mora, had just left UCLA to become the Raiders running back. So he spent seven days, quote, in the NFL, has now come back. (laughs) And it was a very popular hire, I am told, by some of the significant alumni boosters and obviously by the guys in that locker room who believe in this guy. So Chip Kelly is here. He's gone. He hasn't done bleeping anything since he left Oregon. And he leaves behind just an unbelievable mess. And they're going to the Big Ten. And they're losing all these players. And the transfer portal window for them has now reopened where these kids can jump out of UCLA because the coach left. It's a disaster. You know, is going to become Washington State, a bottom feeder. Mm. If they lose more players, we'll see if Deshaun Foster can put his finger in the dike and stop the flood, stop the bloodshed. So you tell me your thoughts on Kelly, the timing of what Kelly did— what Kelly did, what UCLA did on behalf of Jeff Kelly, and now they have to face this mess? Go ahead.
1: Well, first of all, you're right. UCLA has really bad financial problems. I think that's part of the reason they're going into the Big Ten, because they couldn't fund. And It's not just football. They've got gymnastics and, I mean, a ton well, of other sports. sports and everything. Yes. Yeah, they, I mean, they have a huge athletic program. And so the deficit is, you know, it's, football drives the deficit, but the other sports are part of it. I, generally speaking, do not blame people for leaving a job to go get something that maybe is better for their career. And in this case, I think Chip Kelly probably saw that. I mean, you get you, you know, you kind of link up with Ohio State and then more opportunities are going to come down the road. But, yeah, he does leave people hanging. And that's just what happens when a coach leaves. The the timing was unusual. You would think that if he would have left, he would have left right after the season. Exactly. You know, so now this does put UCLA into a bind. But it's interesting, too, because, you know, we've talked about Chip Kelly and we generally have liked him because he's like a a bright light. He's a smart guy. But it's interesting how this happened so quickly that he abandoned
0: UCLA and now is just heading out to Columbus. Well, his relationships were pretty shabby over the last two years. There are a lot of boosters, big money givers, donors. We're we're done with them. They, they, they but, you know, I blame the president. I blame the athletic director. You know, Martin Jarman might be the next guy that should leave. He's the AD. They they negotiated. They couldn't fire him. Eight point nine million dollar buyout. If the guy fails and then you got to pay him eight nine point nine to leave, what's to say about your business acumen? Right. That's a big issue. I just have a problem with him doing it this late in the season. And what about the the kids he just signed? That he is he is left behind. Uh, it To me, it's just a bad, bad look. But then Chip Kelly doesn't give a bleep about what the media thinks. What well, the now all think. players are going to go into the portal, too. I exactly. mean, it's, everything is going to be blown up. So that's the end result. Deshaun Foster stays home. He's a UCLA guy. We'll see if they surround him with a, a, kind of a different coaching staff along the way so we've thrown a lot of topics on the table here in the first half of our monday bonus podcast so feel free to jump into the fans forum your thought on what andy Reid did what kyle shanahan did not do your thought about behind the paywall would you pay if a super bowl winds up on streaming you got an opinion about chip kelly ucla feel free to sound stand up sound off pile on if you wish no personal foul penalty flags to be thrown on that topic on the table. Hey, we get to halftime. Program reminder, if you like what we're doing. John, for everybody that's joining us late, Fans Forum. This is kind of a unique part of what we're doing.
1: Oh, my God. I mean, you should see all the people in here. All the Winnipeg guys have piled in, too. I mean, we got Baller and Robert and Callen and Emmanuel and who else is in this list? Matt and Schickster and Travis. I mean, the list goes on forever. So if you want to get involved in Fans Forum... Just Just drop your take, your comment, your question for Hacksaw in the live chat on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, and we'll get you involved.
0: And a reminder, if you like sports, check my website. It's all written. All the unique things that I did as part of Sports Talk Radio during our big run at 690 and 1090, it's now in written form on my website, and we want you to... Subscribe That way, every time we put something up on the YouTube channel, you'll get a notification that there's something unique and very different there. And join our insiders group. When you go to my website, there's a big orange box. Just type in the information there. Fill it out. You get on the mailing list. You'll get a lot of unique things. We're we're trying to plan some things rolling out for 2024. We get to halftime as our Monday podcast continues. And our podcast is brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Centers. Nine locations, nine stores in San Diego. You got projects whether it's cabinets, bookcases, shelves, carpeting, and if it's windows or doors for winter weather, Dixie Line is for you. I used it, he uses it, mm-hmm. how about you? You got projects? Think about these people, Dixie Line Lumber. And our podcast is also brought to you by North County Eye Center of Poway and Escondido. We will all need help with our eyes down road. If you've got issues and problems or questions now, contact them, North County Eye Center, Poway and Escondido. John, we go to the second half of our bonus podcast. I saw you sitting courtside, (laughs) San Diego State at Nevada. Mm -hmm. I saw you screaming and yelling. And I saw another San Diego State loss. Aztecs lose. They've dropped four in a row on the road in hostile conditions in the Mountain West Conference. At the end of the day, the situation is plain and simple. They don't have enough consistent help. And I'm really disappointed two-thirds into the season. They've not found the right rotation and trustworthy guys around Jaden Ladee. That was one of the ugliest games I think I've ever seen, the 70-66 loss to Nevada. No scoring help. Young forwards are really erratic. The guards collectively had another poor game. There was no inside defense in the paint against some of the backdoor cuts and things that Nevada was running. How ugly was it? 52 fouls, Mm -hmm. 57 free throws. The two teams went 6-for-32 On three-point shots. I'm really disappointed. Now, they're coming home. They get the chance to repay some debts. Payback. They get Colorado State. They get New Mexico. Back-to-back here. Good. Tuesday, Friday, a chance to punch somebody else in the mouth. Can they win the conference? Regular season race might be hard. Uh, Can they win the conference tournament? Possibly. Because that's going to be on a neutral floor. And it's not going to be at the altitude that some of these other places are, and you're not going to be there with all the crazy fans. So what was the experience like to sit courtside in at uh, Nevada? And then you, your read of where the Aztecs are from a player personnel standpoint tonight.
1: Wow. I mean, it was it was a great game to be court side. I mean, the guys are just so big, so strong, so athletic, and they were just banging each other. It was like the first part of the Super Bowl where the defense was just brutal. Um, it was a tough game to watch, though, because with all the fouls and all the poor shooting, it was it was frustrating. The Aztecs didn't take a lead until late into the second half. Um, and the, yeah, the shooting was cold. But, it, you know, the, the Nevada fans, obviously, they beat their big rival. But I got to tell the story. This is an interesting angle to it, is that Going into the game, my buddy and I were there and we said, hey, let's put a bet down on the game. And, and the, the spread was like two points for, the, um, for Nevada was favored by two. So we get down to the sports book and it had moved to three. And so we said, OK, we'll take the Aztecs plus three. And then I also took the under because I knew both defenses were good. And the under was looking great. It was like 10 to three, like six minutes into the game. I thought, oh, the under, I'm going to win that bet. But anyways, at the end of the game, the Aztecs lost by two. But then the court got stormed and then the refs are like blowing the whistle, getting people off the um, the court. And then they let Blackshear shoot two more shots. And it went from a two point loss to a four point loss. And the spread was three. So it was a bad beat, you know, <laughs> and I ended up losing that bet based on that goofy call at the end. So uh, but it was a great experience.
0: It was a lot of fun. Not a win. Do you think San Diego State can fix this, or is this what we have to deal with the rest of the way? Ladee well, has
1: got to figure out a
0: way that when he gets the
1: ball, he can react more quickly because he just gets mugged, and they're not calling the fouls. So he's got to be able to be quicker with the distribution, and then I don't know how you solve some of these cold streaks on the threes. I mean, they've got to do a better job hitting their shots.
0: So San Diego State, we'll see if they can pay back Colorado State and New Mexico. We go from college basketball, we go to the Lakers line, and let's start with baseball here first. Go ahead. Okay,
1: <laughs> let's go with Lakers here. I mean, the, I'm sorry, the, the Dodgers and the Padres, they're getting started on, on um, spring training. They're going to be going to Korea.
0: Yeah, the Padres have opened their spring training camp, uh, Cactus League notebook, and the Dodgers are in camp. First full workout was today. Padres have just signed back Jureks and Profar, all two thirty-six of his batting average. This guy made almost eight million dollars a year ago. He's played so poorly, he now signed a one-year, one million dollar contract. Wow. He'll come in, he'll be an insurance policy left fielder. So they got somebody with experience in left field. They still have a hole in center field. They don't have a true legitimate first baseman or DH yet. Um A.J. Preller has just kind of been defiant. Just about the situation, uh, he's just of the opinion right now. I'm not going to spend money just to appease you guys in the media that I spent money. If it's not the right guy, I'm not going to do it. Now we find out with the Profar signing, the Padres payroll is right now is 149 million. Wow, that's all. That is all. You know that is 103 million below what they spent last year. That's incredible. It is. So the end at the end of the day. They got money issues and now they can't fix it because he's given all these mega contracts to so many people. They have faith that they have enough starting pitching. I'm sitting here telling you I don't think they do. There's too many question marks. Spots four and five in the rotation. And if you have any injuries, then there's bigger question marks. Who's going to replace any of the top group of starting pitchers? They have issues, and I don't think they have the dollars to be able to go get somebody unless they're going to trade prospects, and I don't think we want to revisit that with the farm system. So I, I don't think this is a complete roster. Uh, the, the Dodgers have opened their camp. Uh, they think they have enough pitching. There's going to be a lot of, a lot of pressure on the young arms like Bobby Miller and Michael Grove and Stone, that these guys are gonna to have to step up and at least start the season and be decent for them till they can get uh the the injured pitchers back. Walker Bueller is is probably gonna sit the first month as he continues to build stamina. They think he'll be back now maybe May first. Dustin May, maybe July first. Kershaw says now August first. So at least the Dodgers have a lot of depth that's had success in the minor leagues that they think are are going to be able to bail them out. And then there's the Otani factor. This is amazing. And I experienced this before when I went to spring training the first time the Angels signed a Japanese pitcher. And the media onslaught. It's like a tidal wave of (laughs) Japanese and Korean media. It's fascinating to watch. So Otani... Did his first full batting practice today. They had almost 80 media people, including probably 50 to 60 of them from the Pacific Rim. Mm-hmm. He hit 10 home runs in 21 pitches oh today my God. in his first BP. Wow. He's wearing a big brace on his elbow. He's been taking full swings. Uh, that was pretty impressive. But his first press conference, it's a mob scene. It's like that's the only guy there that they're governing. It's phenomenal. So this Dodger spring training camp is really different than any camp they've had before. Just by virtue of the entourage that trail him. He goes from the batting cage to batting practice out on the open fields, on the backfields. Mm-hmm. And you watch. And here's Otani with his bag, with all his bats, going from here, the batting cage inside, to over there, to face live pitching, he's walking, and behind him is a conga line of all the media, <laughs> most of them Pacific Rim guys. It's just, it's fascinating. I'll be intrigued to see whether Otani meets with the media daily, because the Angels shielded him, did what he wanted. He would only talk to the media one time a week. Oh, he didn't talk every day like every other player is accessible in the clubhouse. He was not, so we'll see if if the Dodgers change that at all. Uh, so that's where we are. Preller is defiant. He thinks they have enough. I don't think they got enough, and it's obvious now. This is a money crunch. This whole thing with the bally TV money gone away. I still don't have the the finality of whatever this TV deal this year is going to look like that MLB is putting together. And he says, we got all these guys. Mike Schilt uses the word opportunities. We have opportunities for these guys. I just don't think they have enough players. Granted, the veterans, I think, will all have bounce-back seasons. But I don't think they have enough starting arms. And they still don't have some of these other position guys in the batting order to be filled with credentialed guys. That's my spin. Your thoughts on the Padres and Dodgers? Well... Th-
1: you know, if you're AJ Preller, do you want to sign Noah Syndergaard? I mean, that guy is had trouble. He struggled, and you'd probably end up having to spend ten, fifteen million to no, get him. I wouldn't do it. Well, I mean, these other guys are getting like sixteen million a year for to be fourth and fifth starters. Yep. So Preller is in a tough spot. He can't afford to bring Snell back, but a lot of these other guys, they're just sort of. Eh, you know, they're meh. There's like nothing there. You know, you're not sure what you're going to get. It's almost worth a gamble to see if Brito or Vasquez um, or even Matt Waldron, you know, might be able to be functional in the fifth spot or the fourth spot in the rotation. But it's incredible. It's a $100 million less than last year. So they still have some holes to fill. Gruppner says the roster's not done yet. So Preller is definitely scheming. As far as the Dodgers go, I think Otani is like the Taylor Swift of Major League Baseball. Yeah. <laughs> you know, wherever he goes, the media is there. But Japanese media have always been like that. It's yeah. like Beatlemania or something, you know, when he when these athletes from Japan come to America and have success. I think it's terrific because it makes the the sport much more
0: international. Oh, it Grows it globally. Yes. I'll, I'll give you an example. I went to Vero Beach first time with the Dodgers. And of course, the Dodgers had a great history of Pacific Rim pitchers. So the Dodgers have this th- mound – It's actually, it's three mounds – right adjacent to the media work center. And they bring their pitchers in, and the pitchers throw what they call strings. They set up what the left batter's box would be like, and it's got strings. That's where they left the left – and the same with the right hand. Mm-hmm. And then the catcher will signal, I want I want this breaking pitch down low to the lower string. And a pitcher would throw it. Well, the Japanese pitchers, the Korean pitchers are there, surrounded by the media, and these guys are throwing strings, low inside, low outside, top, bottom, in the middle. Outside. The Japanese media are charting every pitch, and then they're going to fo- make it a box, and that's going to be part of their story that is, is sent back to Tokyo or to, to South Korea. Mm-hmm. This big written report of how Hideo Nomo, when he was pitching, uh, threw 65 pitches on the sidelines and the strings area, and he put 14 up here and 12 here (laughs) and... I, that, I find that kind of odd, kind of unique, but that that's that's how the Japanese, the Pacific Rim media pays attention to their superstars. It's just, it's novel. I've never ever seen that before.
1: Well, I think those are like Japanese hacksaws, right? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you know, they're like getting all the data and crunching <laughs> it and, and then repackaging it and presenting it. But you say strings, is it like a tic-tac-toe mark and they can like target into the zones? They yes. to throw the ball into
0: a spot? Into a spot. With strings, right? You know, and the catcher sets up in the lower box, which is got mm-hmm. a string and posts, and that's where the pitch goes. And if it goes up here. You know, then they recorded. He was out of the zone, and they they do it for all the zones. That's it's a great way to do it. It's fascinating. It mm-hmm. really is. Okay, so we go from baseball. Hey, you're a Padre fan. You're a Dodger fan. Jump in here on Fans Forum. Let's go to the NBA. A lot of different topics to talk about.
1: Yeah, we just had the NBA trade deadline. What did our local
0: teams do? Rob Polenka getting a lot of heat. Rob Polenka's response is, I am not going to try to buy a house that's not on the market. Everybody wanted him to make a certain trade. That guy was not available. Uh, He did not want to grossly overpay to get the DeJounte Murray deal done out of Atlanta. He said, we had one draft pick to use. I was not going to give it away if I didn't think that was the right player we were getting back. Also, don't think they wanted to take on a ton of salary. That was a big issue. They didn't make any trades at all. They did make a deal right at the end. Uh, they, They signed Spencer Dinwiddie, who had come... Uh, from the Brooklyn Nets to the Toronto Raptors, and it promptly got bought out. They just signed him. He averages 12 points a game. He's a 31-year-old guard. So he's going to provide them some depth. I think the reality was they didn't want to give up a future number one. Nobody wanted D'Angelo Russell's $34 million left on his Laker contract. They didn't want to trade Austin Reeves, who's had a better— middle part of the season than he had the first third of the season. And they think by the time they get to free agency next summer, they will now have more draft picks to use because they're going to pick up an additional draft pick. So he he says, he kind of lectured the media. I think he's tired of just the constant criticism. Of course, the fans are tired of being in 10th place in the Western Conference. He said, I know the real stories of what goes on inside these NBA trade conversations. You don't, John Riley. I do, Rob Polenka. So that was that was really interesting. And you know, at the end of the day, we talked about this prior. Just all the trades that he has made. Pop that board up there for us, John. All the trades that he's made that haven't made a real difference. So, granted, the team did get to the NBA Western Finals against Denver, but they got beat. But look at all the transactions that Rob Polink has made to try to get chemistry guys in there to make a difference. Virtually every one of the guys he got here in this offseason of 2023, nobody's contributed. I mean, injuries have had something to do with it. In 2022, remember the gamble with Russell Westbrook? How'd that work out? Not so and good. I, and I did make progress with Schrader and Pat Beverly. In 2021, Carmelo Anthony, Trevor Ariza, Rajon Rondo, that didn't work out. 2020, they had Alex Caruso, and he's gone. Drummond was here, and for a while, Gasol did contribute. And, and back in 2019, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope played well in spurts. Can't say the same thing uh, for Dwight Howard nor JaVale McGee. So he's tried virtually everything, has just not been able to make the chemistry come together. And this time, he decided to, to keep his powder dry Hold on to his draft picks because he couldn't move D'Angelo Russell's contract. So we're looking at a Laker team that should make the playoffs, maybe. Probably going to wind up being in a play-in series. I don't think they go more than one round. I, this roster just as doesn't have enough around King James and AD. Yeah,
1: well, we... We're really concerned about this going into the trade deadline that that supporting cast wasn't working. I, I kind of wonder if, you know, Polinka's is kind of his back to a wall. He doesn't have a lot of wiggle room. He doesn't have a lot of assets that other people want. He doesn't have a lot of number one picks. All of his you know, other guys on the bench are kind of, you know, just taking up space and a check. So what, what can Polinka do here? I mean, he, I think at some point he's got to ask himself, can he win with LeBron and A.D.? They came close last year. Can they turn it on this year in the playoffs and have a magical run again? I don't know.
0: I don't see it with this roster the way it's configured, and they've had a lot of injuries to all those quote new guys that they brought in. You know, and LeBron has an option next year. Next year is the final year of his deal. His option's fifty one mil. He could opt out this summer and go somewhere else, and <laughs> then then you'd have Anthony Davis against the world because you'd have a lot of cap space to use, but. Everything he's tried to do, I don't see a heck of a lot that's worked out. You're a Laker fan. Jump on our Laker line here. Join us in fans' form. Uh, Hockey Hotline is open for business. Yeah, the Gulls have been hot here, Lee. Oh, this is really impressive. Back in November, the Gulls, 13-game winless streak. Worst of all time in this franchise's history. This team is now 9-2-2. and Most of that done on the road. Won two at Iowa. Won two in Calgary, both with against teams with winning records. Went in and dominated. Young goaltender Tomas Suchanak, a college guy. 38 and 48 saves and back-to-back starts on the road that they won. Uh, the veterans are starting to play better. Chase DeLeo coming off a major injury. Anthony Agosino. Glenn Gordon, AHL Player of the Week. These guys are playing really well. And the kids have started to learn how to play at this level and score. Whether it's Pavel Regenda coming off injury, Nikita Nestorenko, they've had breakout games. So this team has really come together, and now they're coming home. They've played an extended number of games on the road in the last three to four weeks, and so now they got a chance here just to continue to climb into the playoffs and see if they can get within the top six in the Pacific Division to go to postseason play. And the Ducks, the parent club in Anaheim, I mean— they're not playing very well, but they're not pulling any of these kids up. I've been surprised as bad as the Ducks have played, they haven't taken anybody out of here. But then again, everybody here is so young and the veterans weren't playing well. So nine, two, and two and most of that on the road, that's a good job by Matt McElvain.
1: Yeah, what what a great job. But you know, we got still more season to go. Hopefully they can have a nice run. But I'm surprised like you are that, that the, the Ducks didn't pick up any of these guys since they could use the talent. But it is interesting to me that they, they're playing Calgary in the in the AHL. I mean that used to be an NHL city, right? Well, it is an NHL well, City. Well they have
0: both. It's the Calgary Wranglers who are the minor league team of the Calgary Flames. They moved uh-huh. it up there, used to be out here in Southern California. Okay. It was used to be in Stockton. Okay, And they moved it uh, because of arena problems, and so they they play up there. It's like San Jose's Sharks. Their AHL team is San Jose Barracuda, and Uh, they play in that building, too. So that's where we are. One final topic on the table. This involves golf.
1: Golf. We had the big waste management open, the rowdy event in Scottsdale.
0: Uh, PGA's got a problem on its hands. That's become a go-to event to go party and get drunk. And the players are not happy. There have been some incidents where drunks are running across the, the fairways and the greens and they crowd control. They shut off liquor sales uh, in Arizona. The big issue is, is the merger talks, PGA and LIV. And now the players are starting to sound off. You know, Rory McElroy two weeks ago when we talked about this, Rory McIlroy said, let's get this merger done. Let's get all these guys who left to go to LIV back and playing in all of our tournaments. And he said, I don't think they should be penalized. Just make the merger work and get everybody back together. And what's happened is now... We've seen the PGA events. We just had the Farmers. We've obviously going to have LA Genesis and Tiger Woods going to attempt to play at Riviera. Uh, We we just, you know, saw what happened at the AT&T. You look at the leaderboard and you say, who are these guys? (laughs) There's nobody on the PGA Tour, for the most part, that's recognizable. And then across the street, you got the LIV, which just played in Las Vegas on Super Bowl week, and nobody showed up. Nobody went to see the LIV. John Rahm was there. Dustin Johnson won it. He was there. Mickelson was there. All these marquee names. Nobody's going to see LIV tournaments here in the States. It's a huge issue. So McElroy said, get the merger done. Scotty Scheffler, the number one guy on our tour, says that effectors need to be penalized. You can't act, John Riley, as if nothing happened. Then Jordan Spieth said, I see no direct route to get a merger done because this player thing is out there and everybody's got a different opinion. Justin Thomas said they violated the PGA Tour card by jumping ship to go to the LIV. And then Ricky Fowler piped up and said, those guys need to buy their way back in to be part of our tour. So Rory's standing here with this opinion, and all these other guys are standing on the other corner talking to Rory, saying, no, you're wrong. Has to be a sanction. Has to be a penalty. Has to be a buy-in fee to let these guys get back. So we're no closer to a merger, though they say they think by the time we get to the Masters in late April that this deal will be finalized. But at this point, it hasn't happened. And now we got this emotional split between the guys on our PGA Tour. Well, if the two organizations merge,
1: then... Why would they have to pay a penalty to come back in? Because they're merging. You know, that's part of that process. If they were to remain separate, then I can understand why you'd have to pay a penalty to go back to the PGA. But if they're going to get become one thing again, just just let them in and and let's get moving with this. These guys are just entirely in grudge mode. And by the way, if LIV had a golf tournament in Vegas, the weekend of the Super Bowl with all the people and the celebrities and everything there. And nobody showed up. Yeah. How did they not capitalize on that
0: with all the attention in Las Vegas? Nobody cares about, quote, team play. Apparently not. Bad. Bad-looking golf. Golf's got got real problems. Hey, our podcast is brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Centers. Nine stores in San Diego to serve you. Fix it. Build it. Guarantee you will enjoy it in 2024. Best part now that we've said everything we can say, you're going to get the chance to say something. John Riley's best friends are lined up here like a traffic jam on the 5405 interchange. Here comes Fans him.
1: Okay, here we go. Let's, uh, let's talk a little Padres with Robert. He says, Padres need an outfielder. Yasiel Puig has better talent than 70% of Major League players,
0: says his manager. Should be a cheap pickup. I don't know. He didn't play real well, though, the last group of years. I mean, I think Father Time caught up with him. He's not the player he was when he was the rookie of the wild horse that came with the Dodgers to play his first series uh, in in San Diego just not the same player and then you got all the other junk that he's been involved in all the stuff off the field and who he interacts with and how he acts et cetera. so uh, i i don't think they're going to touch him you know the sidebar story as it relates to ex-dodgers trevor bauer this weekend on on social media said he'd be willing to sign a one-year minimum value contract with incentive clauses he's not had one phone call since he made that offer incredible
1: See, I I would take Bauer up on that, for sure. Because with the incentive-laden deal, you you have leverage. You can make that work. Puig, yeah, he turned the page on that guy because he was just a a bad character. You know, at first I liked Puig
0: because he was fun and exciting and entertaining, but his act got tired. Exactly. So that's where we are. I say no to Puig. Not, Not many other guys that they can afford. That's the problem. The J.D. Martinez's of the world who are out there that you could get... They're not gonna come for one point five million plus incentives. These guys still think they're worth five million or in Martinez's case, eight million. They're not coming here because AJ does not have as much money to spend. Well, unless you're pro-far and you'll come over for a mill. Exactly. <laughs>
1: okay, let's go here to Emmanuel. And he said, talking about the Super Bowl, that game was amazing. I don't like the new overtime rules, but hey, that's the way the game is played now. Congratulations to Mahomes
0: and his dynasty. And dynasty is the correct word. when When you've won three in a five-year window, it's amazing. It's so hard to get back there the second time, much less win it. And they got three rings now in, in a five-year span and still with a pretty good young team that they're building around, Kelsey and and Patrick Mahomes. And, of course, the, the creator of this whole thing is Andy Reid's brilliance, this mad scientist. He, and in terms of the overtime rule, I think it's important that you give both teams the opportunity to score. Uh, you know, the coin flip was a huge controversy. Mm-hmm. Should Shanahan have taken the ball first? And his theory was... We take it and score. If they come back and tie it, then we get the ball back for a third time if the game remains tied. That being said, is there a guarantee you're going to be able to keep them out of the end zone? And Mm -hmm. Kansas City went down and finally scored. So huge, huge debate about in OT, which is different than taking the opening kickoff and the second half kickoff in OT, should you take the ball and then try to get the TD and if it winds up still tied after each possession – You get the chance to get the ball as the the third possession takes place.
1: Well, that's the easy armchair quarterback thing to say, oh, he shouldn't have taken the ball. I think that these overtime rules are an improvement, mm-hmm. but they're still not as good as the college overtime rules, which I think are the most fair and even-handed. Because it was goofy before, the old rules. Like, you know, if you if they got a field goal, then the other team could get the ball. But if they scored a touchdown, they couldn't get the ball. At least they streamlined it a bit. But there were still a lot of oddball exceptions, if this, then that. It'd be nice if they just played a clean quarter. Like they do in soccer, or they did the alternating possessions like college football.
0: It's better, but it's still not where it should be. Yeah, college football. I understand you don't want these guys playing almost an extra half. The wear and tear factor on college kids, but I, uh, you know, overtime in the NFL, just give them the ball to twenty-five yard line, see if they score. That sounds kind of gimmicky and gadgetry to me. <laughs> not the football I know. Go ahead, next question. Okay, here
1: let's let's go here to Robert. He says, should the A's go to Nashville?
0: I'll tell you, there's a new new angle to this story. This whole uh, stadium situation is kind of running into problems in, in Las Vegas right now. They've got to get that resolved. Now the thing is, the ownership, which had been going to all these minor league cities and saying, well, we'll play here, there, and everywhere. And the union says, you will not. We're not going to have you play in four different stadiums. It's unfair to the players and their families. Now, John Fisher and his people are looking at strictly Reno, which has a AAA stadium, Mm -hmm. and Las Vegas, which has a AAA stadium, and just taking their home schedule and playing 40 games in Reno, 40 games in Vegas, and then obviously your road games. Maybe that's a solution. But, John, last I checked, summer weather in Nevada – Ooh.
1: Yeah, Reno's not so bad, but Vegas would just be, be brutal. And yeah. Like an August outdoor stadium. I kind of like the idea of Nashville. I think that's a great idea. Um, Salt Lake isn't bad. Portland. But I guess they're doing the Reno-Vegas thing knowing that they're going to be eventually a Nevada team. Maybe
0: Well, if you do Reno-Vegas, then you're promoting Major League Baseball in the state of Nevada. Here's a sneak preview. You can go to Lake Tahoe and Reno and yeah. come to Vegas and play the casinos and go see a ball game. But the weather is just... <laughs> yeah, indeed. That's really bad. Next question. Okay, here
1: let's go to, to Callum McSports. He says, Any sort of trade rumors concerning the Ducks
0: or the Kings? Uh the the Ducks are shopping Adam Henrique, center left winger. I think he's got sixteen goals. He's thirty-four years of age. You can't get a number one pick for him. But you know, maybe you get a number two pick, or maybe a number three pick, or maybe some flip-flop of of draft picks. So they are shopping him. There's one out one story out there this week, and I can't understand why this would happen and why Pat Verbeek would even consider this. There's a rumor they talked to Montreal about a deal for Trevor Zegras. You know, Zegras is is unbelievably gifted. He's got like 146 points in 200 NHL games as a kid, 19 and 20 years so. old. Wow. Why would you trade Trevor Zegras? Now, granted, he's had two injuries, but Montreal has got a ton of draft picks. They got two number ones this year, two number ones next year, multiple number twos. But you know, you've already traded the young defenseman Jamie Drysdale to Philadelphia. Now you're going to trade Zegras. All you're doing is making your rebuild longer and longer and longer. Yeah, you're getting high draft picks, but that's younger players that are not ready. If they do this, I might be coming in here screaming about the Ducks. Um, (laughs) Rob Blake is catching a lot of heat in L.A. Fired the coach, interim coach, payroll problems, $8 million contracts that he gave to some guys that nobody wants. And now suddenly Rob Blake, general manager, is not the golden boy because this has not worked out. And and granted, the Kings are going to make the playoffs, but we've not seen any consistency at all on Pierre-Luc Dubois, Kevin Fiala. And those guys are making $8 million a year. And you would thought, these are power forwards. These guys would be dominated in the game. And we've not seen it. And you can't trade them. Nobody wants that contract. Eight years, 64000000 million. I'm not taking that contract, on. Yeah, well, when's the trade deadline? Uh, March 8th. Okay, so there's still time here to make a deal. Yeah. So there's, there, there's conversation. There are rumblings out there. but. So the ducks make these trades. If they make this next trade of another good young player, I'm going to lose my mind on this podcast because uh, <laughs> I don't understand Verbeek's blueprint now. Because these guys can play, and somewhere, somewhere in the midst of rebuilding, you got to turn the corner. You got to start winning with the kids that you invested in instead of. Trading them off.
1: Yeah, exactly. You do have to turn the corner and start winning. Okay, here let's go back to some more Super Bowl comments from Jeff. He said
0: spags and his D figured it out. They really did. They 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 took them out in the second half. And they got much more aggressive. I think in the first half, Kansas City's defense, I think they they were setting back because they I think they had a terrible fear factor of all the game changers in the players. But they got in the second half, right from that kickoff on, they got so aggressive. And then they started to blitz. And Chris Jones started to beat people in the gap. And he was hitting McCaffrey behind the line of scrimmage. And then he got pressure on, on the quarterback. And they did get him off his spot sometime. So, you know, what we, we saluted Andy Reid for all the creative adjustments he did with Mahomes offensively. What Spagnolo did changed the chemistry of that second second half, which then changed the whole game and allowed Kansas City to come back. Three straight three and outs. 49ers, all that firepower, three straight three mm-hmm. and outs. Wow.
1: Wow. And I, I'm in the beginning of the game when it was just this defensive war, I just kept thinking about the Super Bowl preview. You broke it down and you highlighted Wilkes and Spaggs as saying how they're going to be these masterminds. It's like the game within the game. And boy, did that prove to be true. Um, so, yeah, you got to tip a hat to, to Spaggs. He, he, he figured out a way to stop the Niners, especially in that
0: third quarter. You're correct. I know what I know.
1: <laughs> Next question. Okay, let's keep moving down the list. And uh, let's go here to Angel. And he says 49 are still the NFC champion, but this one hurt. But they'll be back. Congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs. The better team won.
0: Better coaching staff won. Um, Shanahan's got, got this thing now wrapped around his neck. That's a staple of the front page of his resume. I mean, you go through four postseason games, you're at 10 point leads, and you have not won any of them. And mm-hmm. a couple of them were in a Super Bowl. Ooh, there's a lot of people going to doubt who he is right now, and is this the proper system? But that's a really good, talented football team that San Francisco's got, and this this guy in Kansas City has he's rebuilt this thing. It's the third time he's rebuilt the Chiefs over this long run, and he, you know he's marching towards Bill Belichick's 33 career wins in postseason, which nobody is I didn't think could ever touch. And Andy's right there knocking at the door of 26 or 27. Have you
1: seen the the memes that are out there that are comparing Kyle Shanahan with Dave Roberts, you know, uh, as two head guys that tend to have great regular seasons and choke in the playoffs?
0: Yeah, I know there's a comparison out there, but uh, we'll see. Shanahan, uh, just he just made some decisions with personnel that I just don't understand, and the jet sweeps that they used, the motion package they used didn't work against Bagnola's defense. And then they they ran McCaffrey a lot and threw to him a lot. Well, granted, I didn't think that McCaffrey physically could handle thirty touches mm-hmm. in a game with a pounding he takes, but they had Elijah Mitchell, the backup who's a big powerful backup guy. And they didn't do that. And it's like Shanahan just he became linked to throwing a ball throwing a ball purdy and purdy's facing all this pressure and got knocked off his spot and had to roll and so Shanahan could have made adjustments didn't Kansas City did and that's why there's going to be a parade on Wednesday. Well
1: imagine being a head coach in the Super Bowl, the biggest game of your career, and you go in with a game plan and you're married to that game plan and it's probably difficult to adjust on the
0: fly. Yeah, but you've practiced all these alternate plays, these mm-hmm. what ifs, mm-hmm. if I got to go to something different. They 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 practiced the formations with the tight ends and the h-backs coming in motion and wham blocking. And they practice this aligned formation to the left, where the flow went left, and Mahomes had a quarterback keeper. They practiced that all week, so they didn't show it in the first half, but it was there, and they had run it in two weeks of setup and practice. So they went to it, and holy cow, it worked! It worked! It worked!
1: Mm-hmm. Well, let's just go here. More comments here about Andy Reid in the game. And Cowboy says, "I heard today that Andy Reid was prepared to go for two in overtime to
0: win if needed." Do you buy that? He's a gambler. Anything's possible. So yeah, I I would assume so. You know, and if they're putting the ball down at the two yard line with those players, that roster, that quarterback, the matchups they had. I don't care what Steve Wilkes showed defensively. You know, they on the game winning touchdown, they boxed and doubled Kelsey coming off the line of scrimmage. But that rollout by Mahomes and that Pitch and catch to the corner of the end zone mm-hmm. to the backup wide receiver who was wide open. Right yeah. Because the flow was going towards where's Kelsey? Where's Kelsey? And that's all designed so that smart guy, smart guy, yeah, Andy Reid is for sure. Um, what, what was your
1: take on the end of the game in regulation? There was ten seconds left, and the Chiefs had room for, to maybe do two shots of the end zone. And Romo said, "Well, if they get down to six seconds, we can still try for the end zone one more time." But then they decided to kick the field goal.
0: Go with a guarantee. Yeah, go for the next fifteen minutes because what you don't want to happen with no timeouts is you don't want to take a sack. Oh, then it's over. Yeah, because you then you have no time to get your guys your field goal unit on. So take the guarantee, play for the next fifteen because Andy Reid's got all these other plays in his pocket here that he can bring out there okay here let's go to manny and he says it's that wonderful time of the year when football
1: is over and we start talking about spring training baseball and opening day
0: i love the cactus league and i love the grapefruit circuit now we're kind of spoiled here because we live in southern california i lived in cleveland i worked in cleveland you know cold snow all (laughs) that i couldn't wait to go to tucson with the cleveland indians and high corbett field so spring training is really special and what what's the phrase? Hope springs eternal That's in the it. spring yeah. if you're a baseball fan because your team is in first place. Everybody is 0-0 zero, zero in the standing. So there's hope now by the third week of April. It's different, but uh, yeah, it's spring training. It's it's a breath of fresh air. It's just a little bit different. Baseball's such an unbelievable grind. It's a bigger grind than NFL football is, but uh, it's fascinating. We'll continue to talk about it and have fun reporting what's going on and theorizing what should happen. Well,
1: you see that a lot from baseball fans. So the minute the Super Bowl's over, they're like, OK, now we can finally talk baseball. But you know what? Before we even get to spring training and the games, I mean, this is a great time for college basketball, too.
0: Oh, March Madness just around the corner, pal.
1: Yeah. And February is terrific, you know, uh league games. I mean, we were talking San Diego State. That Mountain West Conference is just a war. So, yeah, this is a great time of year for sports. Next question. Moving on. All right. Here we go to the Shield, 1960. Do the Padres have any
0: leaders on this team? All I see are guys that don't respect the game. I think it's a big issue about clubhouse chemistry. Now, maybe Mike Schilt is going to change that because I think he's going to tell these guys what he expects from them. And there's not going to be any A.J. Preller buffer in there. This is Schilt's dugout. This is Schilt's clubhouse Uh, at the end of the day. Uh, these guys have to produce. You know, collectively, every one of those guys had a substandard season last year. I would have never, ever imagined it. Uh, but I do think Machado and Xander, I would hope Cronenworth, obviously Tatis, I think they'll hit back to their career averages because collectively, all those guys, including Soto, they were like a combined 110 points below their career averages last year. So. Guys have these guys have to bounce back. Biggest issue, I do think they will, because there's a lot of proven veterans there. The biggest issue: Do they have enough starting pitching, and what happens if somebody gets hurt? Because I sure don't see enough starting arms. I mean, the bullpen is absolutely deep, deepest bullpen maybe they've had. But boy, they got some question marks. Once they get beyond one, two, and three in the rotation, they got question marks at four and five, and then six and seven are just fringe guys with apologies to matt waldron and some of these other guys so big issue going forward did you see the remarks by Joe Musgrove yesterday?
1: Yes. I thought it was very interesting insight. Well, that's a guy that cares about the game. Sure. OK, you can't question that. But he kind of took an indirect shot maybe at uh, Bob Melvin and the previous coaching staff saying they didn't have an identity in the very beginning. They all kind of just sort of rolled into spring training knowing they were loaded and knowing they'd figure it out. And they got off to that tough start. Now Musgrove says we need to decide who we are and what we're going to focus on and what's going to be our identity. and We need to def- define that right away
0: in spring training. And Mike Schilt's hard edge mm. will help define that. Yes. He will run that dugout. He will run that clubhouse. I think the environment at Petco Park is going to be very, very different in terms of approach to the game and looking for leaders in the game and pride and things of that nature.
1: Okay, let's move on here. We got a comment from Gary, um, because I think Kelsey owes a public apology to head coach Andy Reid. You don't shove your head coach, period. Kelsey's kind of a big baby. Hope he's a happy big baby now.
0: Well, I think it was a bad look, and I think it's a bad look for the Chiefs. It's a bad look for Kelsey to have done that, and he can rectify that by saying, I publicly apologize for what I did. I know it's, it's a flash moment, competitive guys. I've seen that happen a whole bunch of times, but you can't have it. A physical, verbal confrontation with your head coach. Could you imagine anybody doing that to Belichick or Parcells? Oh, yeah. No way. So he owes him an apology. Great player. Great team. That's a great leader and head coach. But Kelsey, this case was wrong.
1: I was thinking, watching that whole thing unfold, that, yeah, in the first half, he didn't touch the ball barely at all. Well, they boxed him out. They doubled him. Yeah. And then the other guys, like Pacheco, were fumbling the ball, and there was a lot of other chaos. But I just kept thinking, you know, the story within the story is that— All eyeballs are on Kelsey, not just because he's a great tight end, but because of the whole Taylor Swift thing. And the ball's not getting thrown to him, so he can't impress his girlfriend with all of his great plays. And he was probably getting heated. He's like, man, I'm a great tight end. Get me the damn ball. And uh, they finally figured that out in the
0: second half. But you don't confront your coach and body him especially in public. <laughs> on camera. Yeah, for when sure. so many cameras in every corner of that stadium. Yeah, that was wrong. Okay. How about a couple social media comments here before we put a lid on this? I'll
1: put a lid on this. All right, let's go over here to, um, here's a comment about uh, the Chargers. This is from Al. He says, just say it, Hacksaw. Telesco is a smart guy, but not a football guy. Telesco drafted quick guys and fast guys, but not tough guys. That's why so many Chargers got hurt. Telesco gets an F grade. He failed
0: as Chargers GM. I wouldn't give him an F. I'd probably give him a C or a B. Uh, But he's a very conservative guy. It'll be interesting to see if he changes his persona now that he's gone to the silver and black. Uh, He was never a gambler. He's not a guy that would trade down and stockpile multiple picks. He was not a guy that would go into the free agent market and get a guy off waivers who might, might have a checkered pass. The guy could play well. He never rented those guys, and that that's why I don't think they ever got this thing over the top. The the injury factor, I don't think it's got anything to do with toughness. It just Those are just football injuries. I mean, guys, your, your star left tackle dislocates his shoulder, reaching to block a guy that was blitzing, and he gets pulled back. Boom, mm-hmm. there goes his pec muscle. Uh, you know, your center, Pro Bowl center, has a heart arrhythmia problem that shows up at age 32. That That's not, not, not having tough guys. Those are just things. Guys fall into the back of your legs of your right tackle, and he suffers an Achilles injury. You know, Austin Eckler gets hurt because of an ankle issue. Those are just boom, boom, fast, you know, physical hit injuries during the course of a game. So we'll see. Telesco changes the image of Raider football. Uh, I think he'll go get more athletes and we'll we'll see what now the new leadership comes. I I th- I bet you and I are going to be talking about some real surprise roster decisions that Joe Hoochie makes coming from Baltimore cuz he was there for 26 years and he lived that philosophy. They get rid of guys a year too early. They manage their cap pretty well and they find gems. And I think we're going to see some guys disappear off this team. I'm not going to say total teardown, but I think there have to be changes because of the cap issue. I, I like the Hortiz
1: press conference. That's like oh, a breath yeah. of fresh air. But let me just ask you, Hacksaw, a longtime sportscaster in the NFL, who are some of your favorite GMs that you thought were especially brilliant?
0: Bethard was the most unique guy I ever crossed paths with. He was so eclectic and his ability to find players at small colleges who became stars and his ability to cite and scope guys on other teams and say, I can rent this guy and this guy will make a difference. So I I would say he was one of the most unique guys that uh, I ever crossed paths with. Um, There was a a GM in Seattle that I really like, Randy Mueller. He was there during the transition when I was there. And they rebuilt that thing with Dennis Erickson, who had had a great success as a college coach, and then they finally got to the playoffs with Mike Holmgren. And I like I like Randy Mueller's work, and, and and he knew players, and he knew how to find players, and quote rent guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, Bethard was there a long time, and I, I enjoyed him from just a whole wide variety of reasons with the Chargers, and. We went to a Super Bowl. Think about that. Yeah. Never got, okay. never got back, but we went there. Yeah. All right, one more here before we go on social media.
1: Okay, let's talk about Preller and the Padres. And he says, Preller has never put together a decent Major League roster. He's great at scouting and selling everyone on the farm system. Pods have few homegrown players on the roster. He should have been fired
0: long ago. Well, he traded. He's traded the farm system twice. You go through Major League rosters, you'll find guys... Other places, doing well. Who's the ace of the Atlanta staff? Max Freed. Max Freed, yeah. Yes. Who's the foundation of what they're trying to rebuild with in Washington? C.J. Abrams. Mm. Who did they get rid of here? Couldn't play shortstop here, but, boy, he's making mega bucks. with well, are the Dodgers or Phillies, Trey Turner. Right. So, Preller has a philosophy, and he's dealt a lot of guys away. I think he's on his last legs. If this is not a playoff team this season— this ownership group, now that Peter Seidler's not there to be the buffer, uh, this, this ownership group might want to make a change. But that being said, A.J.'s got a contract that runs through 2027. You're, you're going to swallow that contract, and you've got money issues already with Peter Seidler's passing and the loss of the TV contract. This is, this is a tough call. But he's reinvested in the farm system. But that's that's a year away at least or a year and a half away before this whole next wave of kids comes. And I don't think he should be trading any of those kids that are double A or class A.
1: Yeah, I think they need to bring those guys up. They're going to be a part of the future. But how can you fault Preller for the roster he put together last year? I mean, it was loaded. I mean, you had Soto and Hader and Snell, plus all the Hall Stars that are on the team now. So, people say he can't build a major league roster. I mean, come on, that was a really good roster. They choked, but on paper, that should have been a good team. So, do you blame Preller because Soto has an off year, or I
0: mean, how, how do you blame you blame Preller for the length of contracts that he gave everybody? Everybody. Now he's painted into a corner that he can't get out of Mm. because he doesn't have the money. And nobody wants 10, 11, and 14-year contracts. (laughs) So that's that's a big issue. And you can blame Preller because he auctioned off all his young talent that are all over Major League Baseball having some modicum of success. Mm -hmm. I think he has to be blamed for that. We'll see. I think they're going to have a bounce-back year. But I have huge reservations, they don't have enough pitching, and he has no way to get pitching now because he's got all these mega contracts and he's got no dollars left in the checking account to go make a deal, to go get an arm, unless he trades somebody. And I don't want him to trade Rob Snelling, their top pitcher at AA, yeah, or Dylan yeah. Lasko, the high number one draft pick who's down in class A. So. That's where we are. Hey, listen, we hope you have enjoyed our Monday bonus podcast. We kind of went long to make sure we got a lot of your comments on. Hey, tell your friends who we are and what we're doing. We do this Mondays at 1 p.m., Thursdays at 1 p.m. Subscribe, share, and register to join Hacksaw's Insiders Group. Our podcast brought to you by Dixieland Lumber and Home Centers, nine stores in San Diego to serve you, and by North County Eye Center, Poway and Escondido. John, take a deep breath. My heart says we're diving into the cactus league in the grapefruit circuit probably on Thursday mm-hmm. when we show up again to do this podcast.
1: Yeah, and and by the way, check your calendar. 2 days is Valentine's Day.
0: So make sure you do your shopping. Yeah, I forget that all stuff all the time. <laughs> hey, we thank you for joining us and being part of our team on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter and find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. <laughs> For more content, go to leehacksawhamilton.com.